This is Bentley Manning. And this is Kellen Day. This is an experiment to see what happens when church gets canceled. And we find new ways to connect. This is... This is... This is... Empty Pews. Hey everyone, this is Bentley Manning. Hey, it's Kellen. A very blessed Advent to you all. <laughs> Advent too. Hooray. Hooray. Um, so today, it's currently Tuesday as we're recording this. Right. We, Which is good. It means we're on time. Uh-huh. We finished reading through the pastorals for Bible study. Code for you all, pastoral epistles, which are found in the New Testament. First Timothy, second yeah. Timothy and Titus. And we started reading through them in September. Yep. And it took us three months mm-hmm. to get through them. They're short little books, but we had a lot of things to say about them. And I think both of us this morning felt grateful to be through them and to move on. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, if there were some salient details or um, theologies or notions that you want to hang on to from the pastorals, Bentley. Um, so just off the bat, one of the things for those of you maybe who are not in the Bible study, the reason they're called pastoral epistles is because they're giving pastoral advice to leaders of church communities. So kind of on a really simple, basic level, um, as a priest, it's fun to read these letters and see kind of the challenges that folks had um, in the early church in terms of organizing and keeping folks together. And in some respects, not a whole lot has changed, right? Of course, many things have, but some things are the same. And so there's uh, something fun about just seeing this pastoral advice that's being given to folks leading church communities. The other thing that um, comes to mind, just thinking about the pastoral epistles that I love and I want to hold on to, is that uh, in these writings, you get uh, the metaphor or the image of the church as a family, which you don't get uh, in in other parts of Scripture, right? They talk about the church as being an ecclesia, um, other images for the gathered body. But here in the pastoral epistles, the image that we're given is the church as a household, And obviously, the kind of ins and outs of that can get complicated and nuanced and all of those things. Uh, But to think about our church family, which we use all the time as a family, is is coming directly out of the pastoral epistles. And it's a really lovely, warm, helpful image for me to hold on to. How about you, Kellen? What what comes to mind when you think about the pastoral epistles? Yeah. So as you said, you know, the pastorals in some way are kind of this um, account of passing on the faith um, to other teachers or members of a community. And, um, and it's fascinating because they get really specific about people's lives and behavior. And, um, and some of those specifications 
I react against, um, you know, particularly the ones about how women should be quiet and whatnot. But I generally sort of think that um, that Christianity, that the gospel speaks to every piece of our lives is true. That it's, um, it's asking, God is asking us um, to live in particular ways because we've experienced grace in the person of Jesus. And the pastorals make that very, very clear. And we can wrestle um, with those things, and I think we should. But to think that um, our lives wouldn't have to change after encountering Jesus, um, that's not something the pastorals would espouse by any means. If any or all of this uh, piques your interest, know that we have Bible studies every Tuesday at 1030, and next week we will begin our study of the book of Isaiah. And I think we might be on that for the next three years. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're going to divide it up into sections and kind of move at a normal clip. But if we were to do that, if we were to look at it for three years... We would all uh, be the richer for it, wouldn't we, Kellen? I, yes. I don't know it's harder Holding on and letting go I don't know if we oughta Know if we oughta know I don't Um, a quick building update might be helpful at this point, Bentley. Sure. We still got a little bit more to do. Uh, nevertheless, we've started working on rebuilding, reshaping the garden outside. And just at the beginning of this week, they installed a new fountain, uh, which looks just like a font uh, where you would traditionally baptize uh, you know, new converts to the faith. Anyway, there's a fountain in the garden now and it's beautiful yeah so if you're around you can kind of peek your head around the um, construction debris <laughs> and to look for it it is a really really beautiful beautiful fountain and just so you all know people are always saying to us to me you know we're going to need a book to describe all the symbolism in the new church and that's probably true the reason we know it looks like a font is because it's eight-sided like our spire. Yeah, just like our spire, Kellen. The reason, if you all are wondering why all, there are these eight sides to things, is because in baptism, there's an understanding that we, through our union with Christ, that time is extended towards an eighth day, a new creation. Um, so something to think about when you're walking around looking at fonts and churches um, if it doesn't of, have eight sides, it's not a real font. If it doesn't have eight sides, it's they need a new font. 
Obviously, we're kidding about the eight sides being a requirement. And if you want to see a good example of something that's a bit different than the traditional Google Salisbury Cathedral font, it's stunning. You really should Google it, though, because I just did, and it's incredible. Right, Kellen, uh, speaking of baptism, uh, this coming Sunday we look at the third chapter of Luke, and it's the moment where John the Baptist is out in the wilderness uh, baptizing and preaching repentance. And so we get a picture of folks coming to him and asking them what they should do. And he kind of tells them more or less to shape up, uh, to shape up because uh, the Son of Man. Christ himself is coming into the world. Um, And so folks are filled with expectation and longing, and he's baptizing them with water. And people begin to think that maybe he is the one that's going to come and make things right. Uh, But he says, no, the one that's coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he points away from himself uh, towards something greater. All right, Kellen, you're preaching. Um, What are you thinking about? What jumps out to you with this gospel reading? You know, Bentley, I forget how much John the Baptist there is in Advent every year. And then we get to Advent, and like half of it, we are encountering, wrestling with this um, sort of wily and wild man in the wilderness. I had this thought last week when I was preaching on John the Baptist, and I thought... I've already preached on John the Baptist a ton, and I haven't even been a priest that long. <laughs> yeah, because there are so many opportunities to do so. And and so I guess, yeah, the church is 
the church thinks that there's plenty here to wrestle with every single advent and I'm guessing the church is right I notice in this text from Luke that John the Baptist is particularly sharp-edged um, he starts off his exhortations by calling the crowd you brood of vipers which is kind of intense and um, certainly not polite not polite from my point of view doesn't necessarily invite conversion but the opposite sort of happens in the text you have these people who after hearing kind of these sharp words from John come to him to be baptized you have everyday people you have tax collectors and soldiers and and they're all asking him you know what should we do it's a refrain in the text what should we do now that you've told us you know we're sort of these unworthy in need of repentance folks and and bentley you often say to me like style is everything Mm -hmm. it's one of your kind of um, mantras doesn't mean that I have it. It just I do think it's important. Um, and I just think here, like I wouldn't necessarily say that John the Baptist has a lot of style or flourish. He just seems to be trying to speak the truth and or getting as close to that as he possibly can. And something about the truth, even if it's harsh. Um, or intense, uh, there's a hunger for it from the people, a hunger for some honesty about their lives, for a possible response. Um, They're looking for specifics on how to repent, how to change their ways. So... So you're going to climb up into the pulpit on Sunday and tell everyone they're a brood of vipers. <laughs> it worked for John the Baptist, so I'm, I'm contemplating it, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I probably am not going to do that. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh-uh. But don't we have to wrestle with a scriptural witness um, where that worked for people? Kellen, I'm totally with you. I am reminded of the line from Jerry Maguire, the movie, you can't handle the truth, right? And I think that's a question. The crowd here could handle the truth uh, of knowing that they're less than perfect and are in need of something outside of themselves. And I think with every generation, right, part of the work of preaching and teaching and uh, storytelling is getting folks to realize um, the same thing that John said in a particular way that works for the time and place. Yeah, at the very end of this sort of like really intense uh, gospel text, there's this wonderful sentence which says that John, with many other exhortations, proclaimed the good news to the people. Um, And there's this sense that this call to repentance this truth-telling about ourselves and our relationships with others. Um, All of this 
is part of um, experiencing the good news, of making ourselves ready for Jesus. And um, I think if we lose sight of the bigger picture (laughs) and we only hear kind of the intensity and sharpness to John's words without it being um, within this larger framework of a God who really cares about us, really loves us, loves us so much that um, he's willing to tell the truth about us. And if we can see that and we can um, repent from our ways and turn toward turn toward God, um, there's so much grace and new life um, available. And of course, this is exactly what the season of Advent is about. It's about uh, making room and preparing uh, so that we might recognize a new reality, a new world, a new life, uh, much richer and grace-filled and loving than we could engineer on our own. Um, And that's certainly good news that we don't have to come up with it by ourselves, but just to make space in our hearts to receive it when it comes at Christmas. Lonely hearts strewn across the land They'd been waiting long for a healing hand My heart was there and I felt a chill When love came down and the earth stood still When love came down and the earth stood still We might have done this blessing last year, but I think it's worth repeating. It's called Prepare by Jan Richardson. Strange how one word will so hollow you out, but this word has been in the wilderness for months, years. This word is what remained after everything else was worn away by sand and stone. It is what withstood the glaring of sun by day, the weeping loneliness of the moon at night. Now it comes to you, racing out of the wild, eyes blazing and waving its arms, its voice ragged with the desert, but piercing and loud as it speaks itself again and again. Prepare. Prepare. It may feel like the word is leveling you, emptying you as it asks you to give up what you have known. It is impolite and hardly tame, but when it falls upon your lips, you will wonder at the sweetness like honey that finds its way into the hunger you had not known was there. My heart was there and I felt the chill But love came down and the earth stood still But love came down and the earth stood still Hey, podcast listeners, it was a gift to be with you uh, on this episode. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, First is that 
uh, tonight, which is to say Wednesday, December the 8th. Uh, We will continue our short story series at 515 in the chapel. Please join us. We're looking at A Good Man is Hard to Find by Flannery O'Connor, another uh, kind of John the Baptist figure who is enormously helpful this time of year. Love to have you join us for worship um, on Sunday at 8 o'clock, 1030 or 5 p.m. The 5 p.m. is this lovely service that includes um, the lighting of the lamps in addition to the Eucharist. And it's really quiet and dark and light and you should come if you haven't been yet. So between now and then, I know as always that we love you We miss you. God's peace.